a lot of people mistake succession planning with just, oh, we're going to take one person out and put another one in, you know, round peg, round hole, it'll be fine. And they, they don't think about why that position has shifted over time and what the skill sets are needed in the future. And they also make the mistake of just focusing on the president, the CEO. They think, well, that new person will, whoever that is, will just figure out the rest of it. Well, hang on. If you bring somebody in from the outside to replace your top person and that second layer of people all of a sudden say, we don't like this person, we don't trust this person, we're walking you might find your entire company a very shallow shell very quickly. Welcome to the follow-up from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Our guest today is Commander Mary C. Kelly. She has written 15 books, earned a PhD in economics, uh, and spent 25 years leading teams in the Navy. She's a business leader, consultant, professor, and self-professed caffeine addict. So Mary, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for letting me be here. Well, one of the things that has, has really hit us recently is the need for leadership in crisis. What do you feel that are the you know, main issues facing leaders today? Very interesting that John Chambers, who was the CEO of Cisco, came out in January and he was talking to all his CEO buddies and the pandemic was top of the list. Geopolitical issues were not even close to being on the list. And now things have certainly changed. Top of the list are geopolitical uncertainties and how they affect our businesses. Cyber hacking ransomware is a high number two. We are also now worried about the economic insecurity where people are paying their people more, but their people are not able to buy as much stuff in the grocery store and getting their kids ready to go back to school. So those top three things are at the head of most leaders' thoughts, and they kind of have to be. So right now, the crisis we're in right now and the uncertainty and the challenges and the changes, they're just going to keep going. So as leaders, we have to be more proactive with our teams. We have to be more strategic in our thinking, and we have to help our people with doing the right behaviors we need them to do by reminding them what we need from them. And that's a critical aspect as leaders, looking at all of the crisis challenges and changes and then being more proactive. So, um, you know, what do you do that from leaders? I know you talk about sometimes, you know, with leaders you can have, um, how do you just make sure you're actually leading as opposed to just hoping things go right? Hope is not a strategy. And you've heard <laughs> that before and it's true. Doesn't work in the military, doesn't work in business. We've got a plan. If you are not happy with your outcomes, you got to look at what you planned for. And if, if you didn't have contingency plans for all kinds of other what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, then maybe the planning needs to be tweaked a little bit. I always say plan for the worst and hope for the best. I mean, we always we're optimistic, but you have to have all those contingency plans in place. And so you might want to be looking at some of the symptoms that indicate your people are unhappy at work. They're unhappy at home. They're unhappy with, with what's going on. We have to remember as leaders, our people spend most of their waking time with us or working for us, with us, around us. So we've got to make sure work is the constant in their life. Maybe their home lives are in an upheaval situation. Maybe there's tension. Maybe there's craziness. We don't know. So we've got to be reliable, steady, assuring. And we have to help people, again, with those behaviors, doing what we need them to do so that we can run a business. How do leaders do self-care? when it comes to that? 
So I'm one of the worst people ever to talk about self-care because you got to remember that when it's always so nice when I work with meeting planners and they're like, how is your hotel room? <laughs> and I always kind of laugh because every time I go into a hotel room, I'm like, there's a bed. This is so exciting. Well, you know, when you're on a Navy ship, that's not a guarantee. And we have this thing on Navy ships called hot racking, where the rack is still warm from the body that just came out of it. See, when you go to a hotel, you don't have to worry about that. Most cases, now, yay. So I think that we have to look at what's important to people in that moment. And we have to help people with those expectations. And we help pe- we have to help people understand what their crisis is. And that means getting out of our own heads and getting into other people's heads. Now for you, when you're doing this, do you set reminders? Is it just, okay, Mondays, I'm gonna check in on people or how do you build that into the process as a, as a leader? So I think as leaders, one of the things I do is I guard my sleep like, like a dog guards a bone. And now my dogs will cheerfully give you the bones, I don't care, but <laughs> I guard my sleep. And a lot of times on the road, you know, you just don't get that. So I've got an event this week where I know I'm going to land at midnight. I'm going to get to the hotel at one and I got a sound check at 6 a.m. So I know that my sleep is not well guarded this week, but I know I'll sleep ahead of time. I'll sleep afterwards and maintaining that. I think you have to know what your best optimal spaces are. So I know that if I get good sleep a couple nights before an event, I'm good. That's not a problem. But I also know that on the road, there's an opportunity to eat food that I should not eat. Um, There's an opportunity to perhaps enjoy happy hour more than I probably should several nights in a row. Um, And I like all that and I like having fun with all that, but I also have to know what my parameters are and what my limits are. And as leaders, we have to help. We have to, again, model the behavior we want, but we also have to see where some people might be slipping. If somebody is looking really, really tired, you don't want to say, hey, Brian, you're looking really tired. What you want to say is, Hey, Brian, uh, I want to make sure that things are going okay for you on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being absolutely fantastic and one being, oh, things are really bad. Where are you today? Assess the volatility. Because if you walk around as a leader and you're like, hey, Brian, how are things going? Brian's going to say, good, great, fine. That doesn't help me as a leader at all assess where Brian really is. But if you give Brian one to 10 and Brian says, you know what? I'm a seven. Okay, Brian, what's going to take you from a seven to an eight, maybe a nine? And Brian says, well, I wish my computer was just going a little bit faster. Okay, that's something you as a leader can fix. Or, you know, I just really need this. Or I really hope this client comes back and we can close this deal this week. Good. Okay, those are all good things. But if somebody says, I'm a three, that's all stop. That's, hey, let's go for a quick walk. Why don't we just, you know, walk over for a coffee? Um, not trying to pry, but is there something we can help you with? Is there something going on you want to talk through? Can I help you strategize with something? Being a leader is more than just telling people what to do and hoping they respond. Being a leader is being there when things are tough because when things are going well, nobody really needs you. You're the If you're the boss and all you do is dole things out and everything works perfectly and all your people do everything perfectly, nobody needs you. So this is why leadership is more important now than ever. Where did you start to you know, learn and become fascinated with leadership? I was so fortunate because I got to go to the Naval Academy. And at the Naval Academy, we start teaching leadership from day one. And you get to learn from some of the best leaders the world has ever produced in our U.S. military, just amazing leaders. And so you learn from that either by you're around it or, you know, one of my best lessons was when somebody made a very bad mistake and another senior leader looks at me and says, I was a lieutenant at the time. And the senior leader looks at me and goes, all right, lieutenant, what'd you learn? And I said, 
I don't think that was a good call. And they said, what could you have done differently? And I said, well, knowing now what we know, we could have done this and this and this. They go, "Uh uh-huh. So make sure that when you're in that situation, you don't make that same mistake. So you're always trying to learn from your mistakes instead of blaming somebody else and Mm -hmm. covering it up. So that's a great opportunity. I realize that not everybody gets leadership starting their first day of college. (laughs) <laughs> and um, were, were there any particular mentors that you had or anyone that inspired you uh, in particular? Well, I'm a reader, and I think that you can get a lot of mentorship from leadership lessons. Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. just the, the art of forgiveness that he was able to practice, unbelievable. And even today, I, I, I reread what he did and what he does and, and what he thought, and I, I just think, wow, that's that's an incredible that's an incredible version of humanity that I, I would love to strive for more every single day. Our great military leaders, those who make tough decisions when you don't have great information are wildly inspirational because mm-hmm. you don't always have great information. As business leaders, we say, well, give us all the information you have. That's right now. You can't wait for perfect information. And one of my best mentors was an army guy. I know I'm a Navy person, but army <laughs> general, his name was Tom Fields. He lives in Alabama. And he said, if you wait for perfect information, you're going to get yourself dead. And mm-hmm. he was right. You know, you can't wait as leaders. We have to be proactive and you have to make the right decisions based on the information you have at the time. And if those aren't the right decisions, when you get more information, you got to change, you got to pivot, you got to do it on the fly. So what leadership lessons do you feel translate the most uh, from the Navy to business and which ones don't translate? So interesting because many times business people say, what would a Navy person know about running a business? And it's a valid question, but I've run billion dollar budgets. I've run what we call big people, big buildings, big logistics. So you're talking, you know, 30,000 people and troop movements and multiple ships and activities and military bases. And when you're responsible for all that, first off, you learn that when you're super busy, you don't worry about the little stuff. Mm-hmm. So some of my leaders say, I'm really worried about this tiny little thing. And, you know, so-and-so said this to me and it really bothers me. I'm like, yeah, you got to let that go because you do <laughs> not have time to waste thinking time on things that don't matter. So focus on the big strategic pictures. Keep in mind that you're going to make decisions that are going to impact a lot of people. And you have to be okay with that. Even when some of those people are not going to think it's the right decision, you have to be strong in those decisions. I think that translates well as in addition to everything else. So you have to do the people side, the budget side, the logistics side, as well as being able to make good decisions. But the most important thing I think the military teaches is that contingency planning. You have to prepare for the worst. And that means having plan A, B, and C, and if then, if then, if then. And you're the ones thinking about scenarios that nobody else would have thought of. So how does that play out? And what would you do if? And I don't think that question is being asked enough in most business circles. Why do you think people skip that question? Because it's hard. (laughs) Oh, it's hard. And you're you're in day-to-day ops. You're putting out fires. You're stomping out the fires. You're moving faster, doing all the things. And then when somebody says, well, what if this happened? And you're you're going, wait, what? I, I don't have time to think about that right now. And this is where a lot of times our long-term planning, our strategic planning, our succession planning doesn't happen simply because it's hard. And we don't make time. We make time for the urgent, the immediate right now, but a lot of times not the important. How do you make time for that? Is it Or, or is it a different person who does the long-term versus the short-term? Or do, does everybody need to do both? 
It depends on the level of leadership you're in. So our, the more senior you are, the more long-term you have to plan, in my opinion. And the, the aspect there is you have to then get feedback from all the people who'd be affected by the what ifs. And many times they're just thinking about getting through the day. Mm-hmm. And the more, the more situationally challenged you are, the more myopic you become. So this is why during COVID, people focused on circle the wagons. What can I protect? Me, my security, my house, my job, my dog, my work from home, my homeschooling. And they weren't worried about strategic long-term planning for the organization. And when you're the leader, you have to take care of your people's immediate needs. At the same time, you have to plan long-term. One of the things you do talk about as well is about uh, leading through a crisis. So do you feel like we're still in sort of a crisis mode or crisis stage right now? I absolutely do. I think that we're definitely in a crisis challenge or change situation. But when you think about it, of course, Brian, we're always in a crisis challenge or change mode. It just, they just change. Uh, The changes change. The challenges change. The crises change. And we've got to be able to respond. And that's what one of the things I think the military does a good job of doing is we don't teach you how to react to every single situation. We teach you how to critically think of what would happen if this situation went horribly wrong. Like I think it was Muhammad Ali or somebody who said, you know, the best plan just, you know, goes away as soon as you get punched in the face. And that's kind of true. Well, a lot of people got punched in the face. And so because of that, you're kind of having to go, okay, now what? And if you think about the crisis challenge and change that people are in now, economic challenges for sure. Inflation, 9.1%. Jobs, there's not enough people for the jobs that we're advertising right now. Housing prices are up. Rents are up. People are really concerned about buying gas, buying groceries. This all creates these levels of uncertainty. And when you know your people are uncertain, it means they're less productive. So we as leaders have to be more. We have to provide more leadership more often with more communication and more focused efforts to help our people kind of get through this because it's a process. You know, people don't just wake up and say, hey, I don't want to be productive today. No, what happens is they wake up and they're worried about getting their kids to school and buying groceries and getting themselves to work and all the things that are in their heads. It's always amazing to me when I when I talk to groups of people and I say, so what do you think's in all the heads of the people around you? <laughs> and a lot of people never think about that. They're like, wait, what? Well, I got enough crazy going on in my head. And I say that with all love, you know, we've all got all those competing things going on in our head. And they go, I don't know. I said, well, as a leader, you need to think about it. You need to think, what are, what are my people thinking about? And what is their concern? And is there something I can do to ameliorate their issues so that I can take that off their plate? And then for leaders themselves, back to your self-care question, we have to take things off our own plate. So a lot of my leaders, I encourage them, hey, have your own virtual assistant. So what if the company doesn't pay for it? Get your own to free you up for five or 10 hours a week so that you are able to focus on what you need to focus on. Do the things you do best. Outsource what you can as long as there's not like a privacy issue or a HIPAA issue or anything like that. Get those things off your plate so that your life is more sane, so that you can be a better leader to your people. Like some of us are not good at things like making flyers or making business cards or designing marketing. Great. You can outsource that. And it's wonderful that we can do this now. Um, And this speaks to where we need to be as leaders. You know, we've got to be guarding our time and making sure that we are maximizing our scarcest resource, which of course is our time. 
What are the different stages of a crisis? You know, as leaders are going through these things, what are the different stages of a crisis? Well, I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine on a cocktail napkin when this whole COVID thing started. And I explained it in these concentric circles. I said, look, in the very beginning, there's really six stages. In the very beginning, it's a rejection. So think about, let's say your friend's kid gets into an automobile accident. You're like, oh no. First thing you think about is, oh no. And then you're going to jump into action with little band-aid fixes. Okay, do you need me to go pick up the dog or the, your kid, your other kid at school? Or do you need me to meet you at the hospital? We get to that little point where we make small changes, band-aid fixes for the situation. So during COVID, it was, I can work in sweatpants or yoga pants and I can save money on commuting. So that's the realization phase. You go from the rejection phase to the realization phase. And then you recognize it for what it is, stage three. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is going to be more serious than we thought. And we have to make more permanent changes. So again, your friend's kid in the hospital, they've got a broken leg. They can't go to school for six weeks. What's that going to look like? How can you help out? Okay, I've got your kids. How can we homeschool your, you know, your college-age kid who's now in the hospital, longer-term fixes. During COVID, it was, we need more and better technology. My people need more of my time. My family needs more of my time. And then you get into stage four, which is the resolution phase. We got this. We can do this together. Let's support each other. Most people cycle through those first four stages, sometimes every single morning with coffee. Oh, no, we're still doing this. That's okay. I can, I can save money on commuting. I got new technology. We can do this. They, and they cycle through those four stages, kind of like an endless you know, PowerPoint loop. Great leaders very quickly move into the reality stage, stage five, which is got it. Things are going to change. We got to shift into gear. And then they move into the realignment phase, which is being externally focused on their people, their customers, their planning, and what needs to happen next. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem a lot of leaders have right now is they've been in this realignment phase, stage six, for a long, long time, but a lot of their people are still in the first four phases. So we've got this disconnect. How do you, how do leaders reconnect with their people or figure out where they are to help them move to the next stage? Asking people that question about where are you on a scale of one to 10? What's going on with you? And listen for real answers. Don't be satisfied with good, great, and fine. It's not. Even your best workers, they may be great, but you say, well, how can things get a little bit better? And then wait for the answer. Well, you know, if our computers weren't so slow, or if we had this new software, or if we did this, that's where you as a leader can make those improvements. You have to listen for the cues. Because frankly, a lot of leaders, what they want to hear is good, great, and fine. And then they can just keep walking, and they're happy in their little cocoon bubble thinking everything is great. And as soon as you as a leader think everything is going swimmingly well, it mostly means you don't really know what's going on. Um, and uh, what are some of the surprising things that you've learned from companies? Like once they get to, once they start doing this, what are the changes that they see? What's amazing to me and what surprises people is that confidence comes from doing, not from cheering. You can't just say, go, Brian, go, you can do this. That's not where your confidence comes from. Your confidence comes from stepping out there and actually doing it. And I learned this in the Navy because we did have to jump off this 10 meter board into the water. And if you're not a strong swimmer, it's terrifying. And you you stand at the top of this 10 meter board and you look down and you don't just see the surface of the water 10 meters at the top, you see another 30 feet into the water. So it looks really, really far. And I remember being there thinking, I don't think I can do this. And other people are doing it. And everybody's going... you know, they can do it, you can do it. Well, that's health, That's actually helpful. Oh, if Brian can do it, then Mary can do it. Well, but then Mary goes, Mary's not Brian. This isn't going to work. This is a terrible idea. 
But then once you do it, and the reason I did it was because I looked across the platform and one of my, somebody I had met who was also going to the Naval Academy at the same time was on the other side of the board. And I thought, there is no way I am letting Jason tell his mama that I chickened out. Like that was really what went through my head. So I jumped. And then as soon as you jump, you go, oh, well, first off, it's the uncertainty. Am I going to jump or not? That makes you anxious. That makes you so worried. Am I going to do it? Will I be able to do it? What if I chicken out? Because you're doubting yourself. So before any big decision, lots of people go through that. And then once you jump, guess what? There's nothing for you to do. All the anxiety goes away. Um, and then you and then you surface and go, oh, that wasn't that bad. And now that you know you can do it, it's pretty easy to do it again. This is where confidence happens. Confidence happens when we take action and when we realize that the, what was holding us back were all these other doubts. So if you ever think of a really big decision, like do I move from Indiana to Tennessee? When you think about it, you're in this place of uncertainty and anxiety and all of that. And once you move, you're good. Everything's, you know, you figure it out. And that's where a lot of people, especially in leadership roles, I think, let themselves get into that loop is they allow the, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. I'm not sure if I can do it. Well, just because, you know, Jason can do it or Brian can do it doesn't mean I can do it. But we have to develop that confidence, that assuredness that we can do it. We've done other things and we've got a success record and we just need to move forward. Uh, one other, just switching gears a little bit, one other thing you talk about is succession planning. So I know that's a really important thing uh, with leaders from a long-term perspective, moving from crisis short-term to succession planning long-term. What are the keys to doing that effectively? In March of 2020, I came out with a book called Who Comes Next? Leadership Succession Planning Made Easy. Now, March 2020 was a terrible time to come out with a book. And at the time, I thought succession planning was going to be the biggest business challenge moving into the next decade. Turns out it wasn't the biggest issue. But COVID highlighted the need for succession planning because 4 million people a month in the last 18 months have voluntarily left their job. What if that person is your key comptroller, your key HR director, your top engineer, your CEO? And then a lot of people mistake succession planning with just, oh, we're going to take one person out and put another one in, you know, round peg, round hole, it'll be fine. And they they don't think about why that position has shifted over time and what the skill sets are needed in the future. And they also make the mistake of just focusing on the president, the CEO. They think, well, that new person will, whoever that is, will just figure out the rest of it. Well, hang on. If you bring somebody in from the outside to replace your top person, and that second layer of people all of a sudden say, we don't like this person. We don't trust this person. We're walking. You might find your entire company a very shallow shell very quickly. Mm -hmm. So succession planning is planning for consistent shifts of positions and people. And keep in mind, if, if you think that you're going to be in the job a long time, and most Americans say they want to work to be 67 years old, but most Americans have to leave their job by the time they're 63, either because of an illness or a health issue for themselves or the person closest to them, their spouse, their partner, or sometimes a child or even a parent, then they're not so concerned about the succession planning of the organization. If all of a sudden you have to pick up and move to Arizona because that's what's best for the health of your kid then you're going to do that and you're going to do what's best for your family. Or what if you get a terrible disease or you get hit by the bus? You don't care. So the people around us have to know what to do next. And, you know, Jamie Dimon had health challenge a little while ago and people thought, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And 
company came out and said, oh, we've got a succession plan. Everything's good. We've got these people who have been working alongside him. There's absolutely no issue. And you know what? The stock market never paid any attention. They're like, okay, got it. A great succession plan assures your employees, your shareholders, your board members, um, and your clients of everything will continue. If we lose one or two key people, we got this covered. And you got to remember, Brian, in the military, because of the nature of how we change jobs and how we get moved around with orders, that one half to one third of your workforce is gone every single year. So it's constant training, constant getting you, and you don't get to hire. You just got to deal with whoever shows up. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's less good, but you got to figure it out when they show up. And one third to one half every single year is a huge amount of turnover. So you've got to be constantly helping people reiterate their goals, their vision, their mission. And it's up to you as a leader to keep that momentum going forward. All right. So last question here. Uh, you have an MA in economics from the University of Oklahoma and an MA in history from the University of Hawaii. Which location was more fun to get an MA in? I'm going to have to go with Hawaii, but go Sooner Boomers. I love you, Oklahoma. But um, <laughs> I love being in Hawaii for, for reasons that a lot of people might not um, at first think of, and it's the food. Hawaii is the best melting pot of any place ever in terms of diversity and people and cultures. And you know, most importantly, the food, the food is incredible. So you can have Portuguese food for breakfast and you can have Korean food for lunch and you can have a great steak dinner for dinner and just the food is unbelievable. And I loved, I loved being in the islands. I loved being able to work at Pearl Harbor. Um, I just loved all of that. <laughs> Great. Mary, thank you so much for coming on and, and telling us about leadership and dealing with crises and, and developing your people and succession planning. So thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Brian, thanks so much for letting me be here. I, I just love your audience and everything they're doing and it's a hard job. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for joining us for the follow-up. To learn more about today's guest, go to premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.